0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. 100 days journey to Easter we've been navigating through our discipleship path and if this is the first time you've seen it uh, we have already gone into what it means to follow Christ we've been growing deeper through our small groups um, we have been talking about what it means to be a church and a generous and today we are starting uh, serve So we are kicking off into the Serve series today, which will carry us into Easter. And we believe that when we unify all of these elements through our ministries and what we're doing as individuals, then we are able to live a life that's missional, a life that draws people to Christ and keeps us close to Christ ourselves. And so we are really excited about where this next part of our series is taking us and as we go into Easter as well. There's a really nice feeling associated with being served. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed something about being served. It just makes you feel good. Um, one of my favorite things to do, especially if I'm having a tough week, you know, the kids keep waking up in the middle of the night, this happens, and or you know things are difficult or you've had a, a challenging week. One of my favorite things to do is to go to my local hair salon. You know, it's just nice. I walk in there, and my hair salon, they know how to serve you real good. Like, they are just adorable. I walk in, and they say, hey, can I take your coat for you? And I say, yes, you can take my coat. And they give me a little tag, and it has a number for my coat on it so my coat doesn't go missing. And I you know, put that in my purse. I'm like, mm, thank you. And they show me in and give me a spot to sit while I wait, and then they say these beautiful words. Would you like a coffee? And it's, yes. Of course. And so they bring me a coffee and it's nice. And then all over the salon in the waiting little spot or where you get your nails done or where you get your hair done, there's bowls of treats. And those make me happy. I think treats are my love language. And people give me treats. I'm just so happy. But all around the salon, there's these bowls of treats and you can just, you know, snack away on a Rice Krispie square. And there's something, there's something about that experience that just helps me walk away feeling better about myself. And regardless of the fact that I probably just got my hair done and I feel nice, um, there's something about being served that really helps us to feel valued. It helps us to feel good about ourselves. And so being served helps us to feel inherently valued. We feel valued when we're being served. This is nearly hockey playoff season. I don't know if any of you noticed. Um, The playoffs are starting really soon, and um, my husband is a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so is Pastor Bruce. Um, I am a Montreal Canadiens fan. (laughs) Now, I understand, like all of the Montreal fans here are like, yeah, it was an okay season. You know, we just missed the playoffs. We're mourning a little bit. My husband put on the hockey game last night and pleased as punch to like turn that on and watch Montreal and Toronto play where Montreal has no hope of actually getting into the playoffs anymore. And he just sat there with a big smile on his face. Mm -hmm. Now, let me just say, Montreal's not last. You know, they didn't end the season last, but... You know, we didn't make it into the playoffs, so we feel a little sad about that. But there's really something that being last, we never want to be last. Nobody wants to be last. In life, in hockey, in sports, in, in general, in life, no one wants to be in last place. There's something about it that just makes us feel yucky and sad. Um, there could be a lot of stress caused by not being first. Something about being first makes us happy. And when we're not first, we feel stressed and we get worried about not being first. This happens in many ways and in many situations in our daily lives. And it could be as important as an opportunity at school or the workplace um, or a simple thing like the coffee lineup. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go through the drive throughs that have the two lanes in them, I get really anxious about choosing the right lane. So certain drive-throughs, really popular ones, have two lanes that go up to two order boxes and then you merge into one lane and go down to pick up whatever you ordered. Well, when I pull into one of those, um, and this might just be me, I might be way more selfish than all of you. I pull in there and I think, now which line's gonna be the shortest one? Now that guy's in a truck and it's just him. So he's probably getting a coffee. That has a van. There's definitely children in that van. The children don't know what they want. So yeah, I navigate into whichever lane I think is gonna be the shortest one, the fastest one, because I gotta pick up what I need and get somewhere else. And then I almost feel like I lost the game when the people that were behind me in the lineup suddenly whizzed through the other order speaker And then they're in front of me when we merge again. I'm like, this is not fair. I was first. You should wait your turn. I need my five happy meals before you need your coffee. And so there's something, not I, that might just be me, but there's something about that, that we just really are in a rush and we're in a hurry and we wanna get our things done. Um, You probably have your own strategies if you shop at Costco as to which lineup is gonna be the fastest to get you through the fastest. I don't, I, I do, I don't know about you. Am I, I'm the only one selfish in the house. Um, if we are in such a hurry to get one task done, to get somewhere else, to get another task done, to get somewhere else so that eventually at the end of the day we can go to bed and we've successfully checked off all the boxes that we need to keep moving forward. And our ambitions are not necessarily wrong, but our motivations can t- sometimes be self-centric or even selfish. Our motivations can be self-centric, it's just, my motiv- I'm motivated by myself, or even selfish. No one likes to talk about this because for social acceptability, these things are better hidden. So the fact that I've told you my anxiety going into lineups and how to navigate Costco and to be first in these stores is a vulnerable thing because people don't like to talk about that. Like, what do you mean? I always let people go ahead of me. I don't care if someone gets their coffee before I get my happy meal. Pastor Crystal's selfish. I don't know. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about it. Socially, it's not acceptable to talk about those things. But we are a polite society. We open doors. We hold the doors for people who come into and out of buildings. And we say, excuse me. And we say, please. And we're very polite like that. And if someone accidentally bumps into you, it's very likely that you end up saying you're sorry. I don't know about you, but I do. I'm like, I'm like standing there. You ran into me, oh I'm sorry, was I in your way for where you were running? Um, But we're a polite people and as we launch into this serve part of our 100 series and our journey to Easter, I want us to take a little time this morning to consider the way in which Jesus has instructed us to live in serving each other and just a heads up, it goes a little deeper than common politeness. And so Matthew, um, who documents the story we're gonna talk about, he was one of Jesus' followers. He was actually considered a disciple, one of the inner group of Jesus' followers. And he was an eyewitness to much of what Jesus um, had said and he had done. And so in his gospel, the gospel of Matthew, um, he documents this account at the end of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus and his disciples, they had traveled, they had healed, and they had taught many crowds. And in Matthew 20, verses 17 to 28 is where we are going to journey. And Jesus and his disciples are currently traveling to Jerusalem. And Jesus gives them sort of a warning, a little bit of a heads up. He says to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the the, teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And so... Matthew doesn't really explain oh, very much, but apparently the disciples weren't really clear about what Jesus was trying to say to them. Jesus spoke in so many parables and stories that I think maybe even as they were walking along this journey, they were like, "Oh, something's going to happen," but you know, he's he's doing one of those things again. He'll explain it to us later. Whatever, what you know, like we'll figure it out in time. But and Luke actually says that they were confused by this. When Luke retells the story, um, he says the meaning of this was hidden. They did not know what he was talking about. They just kept on the journey. But in that, there was probably a sense of knowing that something was coming. And the fact that they were even traveling to Jerusalem, everything that was a little bit chaotic that happened with Jesus was happening in Jerusalem. And so they knew that by going to Jerusalem, something was going to happen anyway. And they were coming to an important point in Jesus' ministry. And so verse 20 continues with this request from the mother of James and John. And this woman, she's not named here, but some call her Mary, some call her um, Salome in scripture. And she was actually a follower of Jesus Uh, Some believe that she was Jesus' aunt and she was uh, with his mother at the crucifixion and she was also one of the women that ran into the empty tomb um, after his resurrection. And so she's been journeying with them for a while. She's been a part of what Jesus has been doing and she approaches Jesus and she says this, "'Then the mother of Zebedee's sons "'came to Jesus with her sons "'and kneeling down asked a favor of him.'" And so here is a classic example of well-meaning motherly interference. If you have a mom or you are a mom, you know what this is. This is probably one of the earliest examples of helicopter parenting that there is. So she's deciding to insert herself into the situation and make a request um, to Jesus for her sons. And they were probably just a little too timid to do it themselves, or they were thinking, mom, Cool it, I don't know, but they were with her, so they gave her permission enough. And so when she spoke to him, or he said to her, so what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Now, there seems to be a little bit of an entitled expectation um, that because this request is coming from Jesus' aunt, that maybe she, ha- she would have more influence over him, over his decisions. And he might've been maybe a little bit more obligated to fulfill her request. Um, The request of the right and left-hand position is a position of prestige and power. Often, these are terms that are used in referencing those closest to the king at the time who are in high rank. And so James and John, through their mother, are asking for high rank within the kingdom that Jesus is building. And you can imagine possibly the hushed conversation that happened before this because you've been a part of them before where the mother's like, come on, James, John, listen. This is your moment. Now, we have to ask him now. And you can probably think through times in your life, you've had similar conversations and they probably feeling like something big is about to happen. Jesus did just try to tell them a little bit about it, that they had to take the opportunity now And they had reassured themselves that probably being related to Jesus, that they had enough going for them, that they could have been entitled to the right and the left hand of Jesus and these positions of power. And so we can probably imagine how we would feel if our mother showed up at our workplace and asked our bosses to give us a promotion or a raise. This is a little bit awkward maybe for them. But they're just standing there, grown men, and their mother's just going forward. Uh, Pastor Bruce, by the way, my mom's been trying to give you a call. So just kidding, just kidding. James, John, and their mother, they have revealed themselves at being opportunistic in this moment. And so Jesus says to them, you don't know what you are asking. He said, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? It's a simple question. And we, who can look back at this story in entirety, we know the cup that Jesus is referring to. His crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. But James and John don't yet fully understand what is coming, and so they're fairly confident, and they say, we can drink from the same cup as you. They're agreeing to drink from the same cup as Jesus, simply affirming their naivete and their their lack of understanding of what is to come. They had yet to see Jesus suffer. They had not seen hardships and trials with Jesus just yet. They have been with Jesus in the parts of his journey where he had calmed storms, where he had healed the masses, fed thousands, raised the dead. How can you not want to sit at the right or left hand of that? They figured this cup is a good cup. We'll drink it. And so Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And so James and John do eventually mature past this point in life, and they do eventually suffer for the message of the gospel. James is eventually martyred and John is exiled. But Jesus quietly uh, you know, puts their request aside by saying that these are determined by my father. This is not something that I get into right now in my part in my ministry. And so the 10 who had heard this, the disciples were indignant with the two brothers. They were indignant. And you can guess the discussion that followed. They were probably a little bit jealous, a little bit annoyed or frustrated with the vocalization of the, of the ones that were probably asking for something that they internally were hoping for themselves. And we see the disciples kind of battling for first place throughout the scripture anyway, but they were not too impressed and Can you imagine if my mother walked into our office here and went to Pastor Bruce and said, hey, Pastor Bruce, can Pastor Crystal have a raise? And all the other pastors and staff were standing around thinking, that's weird. So the disciples were not too, too impressed with James, John, and their mother. But Jesus called them all together and he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus is explaining that one of the most logical and natural parts of, human, of the human experience is the ability to strive for and attain a place of honor, a place of acclaim. And so in the history and what was happening in society then and a little bit now, this was normal. It was normal to try to achieve a high rank, It was normal to want to be in a place where you could exercise your power and your position to your advantage. And let's be totally honest with ourselves for just a moment. Haven't we all taken liberty with our rank when we've had the opportunity? Haven't we all taken liberty with our rank or position when we've had the opportunity? Now, I'm not implying that we're all guilty of horrendous acts of entitlement and privilege, but sometimes in the midst of a busy life, difficult demands and high-pressure situations, it may be easier to lean on your rank than it is to put in the hard work to accomplish something yourself. It's even socially normal to mistreat others in a sense to get ourselves ahead in our goals when we're weighing our personal benefit versus the cost. We may be rude to the cashier, throw the other coworker under the bus, cut someone off in traffic, use our superiority to maybe have others bend to our will, our desires, and ignore the input of others' voices. In real life, in 2019, we can think of many, many ways in which We are using our superiority, our opportunity to benefit ourselves to get higher and higher in our goals so that we can reach the status, reach the dream, get to the place that we've wanted to get to. And yet, here is another moment where Jesus effectively takes what is a social norm and turns it totally upside down. Jesus clarifies for his disciples, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we look at chapter 19 and the rest of chapter 20 before this account, we see that Jesus has already said similar statements. And so this isn't something that he says in passing. This is something important. He's repeated it several times in these passages to make it clear that being first in this life does not earn us first place in the kingdom. Greatness in God's kingdom is obviously different than the greatness that James and John had been seeking after. It is clearly different that which humanity seems to be striving for is not the same greatness that Jesus has indicated that we are to strive for. Greatness among Jesus' disciples is found in selfless service, not rank, not leadership qualities, not nepotism, not impressive resume or an impressive LinkedIn. In Jesus' time, in this moment, Jesus is flipping the story and he is asking that they serve like him. And little do they know yet that he gave his life for them. And the world may have set the tone for humanity to continue fighting their way into first place, but Jesus sets a totally different standard, a totally different standard. This, this is revolutionary. What Jesus is doing here is revolutionary. Jesus has turned this upside down. Jesus has turned this upside down. We can't be too harsh on the disciples for a battle that we also have difficulty with. Really, it's easy enough for us to look at James and John and say, oh guys, cool it. But we have the same difficulty. We are living in an age where the ranks uh, we are climbing hold a lovely dream of individual realization and accomplishment. At the top, we have reached the ultimate version of who we are and we have arrived. And we have the opportunity to say and look upon the people below us and say, look at me, I have arrived. I have gotten to the place that I have dreamt of getting to and now I'm finally here. And there are actually tools and resources for us to do this. It is so socially acceptable in society now for you to climb your ladder and get to the top that there are self-help books. There are workshops, there are classes, there are programs that you can enter to help you achieve your own success and to continue fighting toward that. Motivational speakers who can give us tips and tricks on how to climb to the next level, level, to reach a little higher, to tweak our work strategy to increase the outcome of our investment. Our society is always climbing. We have to accomplish the next great thing. This is what we believe. Just getting to the next thing, that next to-do list. I gotta get the takeout so we can get home and get the laundry done so we can work on the thing that accomplishes this thing so that we can get to the next place in life that we've dreamed about. And yet, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. When we feel the way we do about lines, about conserving time, about achieving the next level of our personal success, how can we take what Jesus has said here and has said it repeatedly and live out serving selflessly in our lives? Real greatness comes from serving others. When this world teaches us how to do self-promotion through books and influencers and workshops, Jesus is instructing us in a selfless promotion of others. This is how we achieve greatness, through the selfless promotion of others. In God's kingdom, it is our duty to lift people upward, not to position ourselves at the top. This is what Christ has done for us. He has lifted us out of our circumstances and we are to be great by selflessly serving others and lifting them up. In Volunteer Appreciation Week, and yes, we believe that volunteering is crucial to spreading God's love and and helping others to hear the word. And it is wonderful that you serve through Bethesda or through organizations outside of our church, and we love that. And we have the opportunity because of you serving here to feed our community through Cornerstone Supper Bowl. We share our joy and our hope with those who are 50 plus at prime time. And we tell children and teens that they matter and have purpose, and children are receiving help for their homework at Conversation Cafe because of volunteers. And if you desire to serve at Bethesda, applications are at the guest services table. (laughs) But this morning, I want to challenge you one small step further. Volunteering in these kinds of avenues is selfless. It really is, and we love you for that. It is how we lift people up, and yet, because we're so busy, sometimes we miss the obvious moments to serve selflessly. It's easy to focus and to serve when we are volunteer, volunteering in a volunteer setting and we have set responsibilities and an objective, and we come here and we shut off the rest of our lives because we've committed this time to serve. But what about the moments where we have the opportunity to see a person and encourage them into their future potential? What about those moments? The band can come back. We see this happening in numerous lives throughout God's word, where people, in a moment, the course of their lives are changed because someone encouraged them or spoke into it. And we look back at Moses and remember that he was called to fulfill his destiny by God through a burning bush. What if there was no burning bush for Moses? Could David have been elevated to kingship if Samuel hadn't heard God's voice in the search for a king? Would David have been singled out from among his brothers if Samuel hadn't been obedient? Would Gideon, who was hiding in a winepress, a hole in the ground, fearful, have become a great warrior if an angel of the Lord hadn't pointed in at him and called him a great warrior? Would Esther have been able to save a nation from potential extinction if her uncle Mordecai hadn't seen potential in her, if he hadn't called forth her bravery and believed in her and encouraged her forward. And if Jesus hadn't changed Simon's name to Peter, which means rock, would Peter have felt confident enough to lead the church after the shame of denying Jesus? In all these situations, these individuals did not know or embrace their own potential prior to these moments of affirmation. They needed these areas of their lives identified by another to see their potential. And in every circumstance, the impact was immense. And you can probably reflect on your own life. You can probably look back and remember a moment when someone saw you, truly saw you for who you are saw your gifts, saw your strengths, and pointed them out, calling forward your value. I believe that serving in this upside down, backwards, first is last, last is first way, that Jesus proposes to his disciples that we must slow down our forward-focused lives and see the present potential in each moment, in each life each person so let's stop rushing through our to-do list and slow down it's likely that your personal goals will remain unscathed by slowing your pace you can still reach your goals and your dreams but slow down get to know people and ask Christ to help you see them as he sees them let's be this for others it doesn't mean your goals are gone but it means you are able to elevate someone, lift them up, and then give them room to let them thrive. We value people enough to hold the door open for them as they come in and out of a building. Can we value people enough to see them for their potential and encourage them toward that? And this is what Christ has done for us. He elevated us out of our broken identity, the Greatest One, the Great One, our Creator, our King, our Lord became last so that He could lift us up. This is what He has done for us. And we'll talk more about this now as we walk into the Easter season, but we too, we too must lift each other up. We have a new life and a new hope because of Him. And at the end of our lives, Our greatest achievement will not be our earnings. It will not be the things we've accomplished. The end of our life, our titles, our purchases, the awards we've won, they won't mean for a whole lot. But the stories from the lives that we've helped transform by our love, our attention, and our encouragement will live on beyond us. You will encounter people who lack courage, confidence or the encouragement to start going after their potential going after their goals help them up lend a hand help them to see their value simple words of affirmation won't cost me anything but they will get people to the next place in their lives and let me just say without simple words of affirmation in my life i would not be a pastor I know God called me, but I didn't have the confidence to accept it all on my own. I needed someone to see that in me too. And without simple words of affirmation in my life, I wouldn't be a youth pastor. That intimidated me. It scared me. I love the teenagers. And without simple words of affirmation in my life, I would not be here at Bethesda. Why? Because I lacked the confidence to think I was able. And I'm not the only one. There are young people, children, adults, people in our world who need us to be an impact in their lives. So let us slow down, get to know someone, hear their story and love them. Ask God to help you see people as he does and he will. If you ask that, he will. Affirm them from the earnestness of your love for them. Don't make stuff up, you just affirm them because you love them and you've seen their potential. And make room for them to rise up. Don't be intimidated when someone is better at something than you are. Let them go, let them. It's probably the greatest gift you can give to another person is to affirm their value, to let them know they're valued. And yes, a bowl of snacks might do that, but I guarantee you a word of affirmation, love or encouragement at a hard point in their life may change the course that they take. This world would have people believe that they are not valued, that they are worthless and unwanted, and those lies are loud and they're coming from everywhere, from media, and in schools, not by teachers, no, but by schoolmates and peers. People are constantly tripping over each other as they're trying to climb to the top so that they can be safe themselves. And in amongst that race and that hunger and that desire and those, those that mess, people are being lied to about their worth. They're being lied to about their value. They're being lied to about their opportunities, and they're believing it. They're believing it. They're believing that they are not worthy, that they don't deserve something, that they're not good enough. And church, we have the truth because of Christ who did it for us. We hold the truth and we must be the people who encourage, uplift, affirm, and bring that truth against the lies. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.